Today, uh, we're just briefly going to look at one of my favorite texts in 1 John. Um, and it's, it's, it's going it's gonna, to, John's going to tell us how the world is. And he's going to ask every single person here to respond in a way. And so let's, um, let's look at it um, just briefly and, and, and let's see uh, what John has for us. And then we will go. My little children, I write these things to you so that you do not sin anymore. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He is the atonement sacrifice for our sins, and not ours only, but also the sins of the entire universe or cosmos. John's uh, he's coming off of a bit where he's talking about some of the major sins that people uh, commit. Well, if anyone does, that word if uh, in Greek uh, can also mean when or whenever. So it could be, but when anyone sins, or whenever anyone does sin, we have an advocate before the Father. We have uh, someone arguing on our behalf, Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. And to understand this, we need to understand what sin is, right? John says, I don't want you to sin, but when you do, here's some good news. Well, uh, I, the way I learned about sin uh, was from watching Happy Gilmore and taking up golf. Uh, this is where he's like, go in your home! Are you too good for your home? Guess no one's seen them. That's fine. Favorite movie. There's a few few fans. That's good. Uh, the, the conceit of the movie is that Happy Gilmore is a hockey player. And so, but he ends up golfing randomly. And because he's a hockey player, he's a great slap shot. And so he can, he can put the ball on any green in just one shot. Even if the, what, what's a long hole? Like four or five hundred yards? Is that right? Yeah, four or five hundred. So even like a five hundred yard hole, he just whoosh, he winds up and whacks it, lands right on the green. And so you'd think that he would instantly be the greatest golfer in the world, but he's not because he finds out once you get on. I know we've got some uh, some golfers here. Uh, okay, now without the line, anytime you ask a golfer how they did, they're like, "Oh yeah, I shot like I, I shot par." No, you didn't. Uh, without line, is there anybody here who has legit shot an eighty? On a 70, par 72 course. Anybody? Wow. Okay, all right. Uh, really? You're a golfer, dude? I didn't know, okay. All right, uh, okay, what about, uh, what about a 75? Anybody willing to? No way! Why, you should be on the pro tour, brother. What are you doing? You can make a ton of money. Uh, okay, what, does anyone beat 75? Anybody? No? Okay. All right, Caden, what's your, what's your best shot ever? Best score? Yeah, I guess. 18 holes, 70? That's really good. Uh, did you know, Caden, uh, that that is really good? But in 2016, Jim Furyk at the Travelers Championship, do you know this? On a 72, uh, in the last round, um, Par 72, he shot a 58. A 58. He hit every single green. He putted over 18 holes. He putted 24 times. That means that he missed four putts <laughs> the entire day. 58 on a pro tour. It's weird, though, because the, the, the perfect round of golf, that's the best. That's the, most people agree, the best pro you know, on an event, tour, championship, the best round of golf, Jim Furyk, 2016. But the perfect round of golf is when you get up to the guy and you hand in your scorecard and it says 18. 
right? That's the perfect round of golf. You get up there, you're like, well, how'd you shoot? 18. Yeah, I eagled a lot of those. All of them, in fact. No, 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 some of them would be, what, what's a double eagle or a, I don't know, turkey, whatever they call it. Well, sin is just like golf, actually, where uh, sin is just anything that's not perfect. So, like, and, and, and sin can be like, so, like, if you, so you're here and you hit it and you're, like, happy Gilmore. You get onto the green and you get, like, two inches away from the cup. That's not a perfect shot. It's a good shot. Not perfect. Doesn't matter if you swing and you hit and it ends up in the sand trap or the water or on the green right next to the pin. If it does time, we live or act or breathe in a way that's not 100% perfect in keeping with how God has ordered the world. But it's crazy because uh, John, says, John says, look, you, you, you know, whether you've had a really great round, whether you're shooting a 70 or whether you're shooting 150, it doesn't matter. When you get to the end of days, right, God's looking and he's like, How? but John says for those who believe, they have an advocate, a lawyer. Um, in my tr- uh, commentary, I translate co-priest, but I don't want to get into it. But basically, the bottom line is that somehow we get to the end of the course and Jesus is there and, and God's like, how'd you shoot? And we're pulling out our 70 or our 75 or 80 or 150. And Jesus stops and he says, this is how they did. This is how he did. It's an 18. It's perfect. And for everybody here, um, to some extent or another, you are not perfect. Some of us here are doing really well. We're on, 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 going for the 58. Some of us have gotten way off track. We just keep dropping ball after ball after ball on the sand traps in the water. And we're, and we're... But regardless, what Jesus offers is he offers the ultimate mulligan. The ultimate do-over. The ultimate saying, I'm going to just scratch all those bad strokes. I, I, I'm going to put you in front of God, and I'm going to make you right, and there's nothing you can do. Well, why is Jesus qualified to do this, right? Why? So we, we all missed the mark. None of us have hit an 18, um, and, and, and Jesus offers us this, this second chance, this do-over, this perfect round that wipes away all of the things that we've done that weren't quite perfect, which is almost everything. Right? Uh, how, does he, how is he able to do that? Well, look at what John says. He says, we, he, Jesus is the atonement sacrifice for our sins. That's weird. Uh, the good thing about the word atonement is that it actually does mean what, it's, what it sounds like. It means to at one things. So things are apart. And atonement is when we at one them. When we make them one together. But how is that? And what, what does that mean? Uh, well, here's a picture of my daughter's toilet. Yeah. You look at it, and, you're, and part of it, you're like, well, how did that even happen? Like, how do we get there? That's not my daughter's toilet. We, we don't live in filth. A little bit of filth, not that much of filth. You like to, at the bottom corner, there's like a hose. It's like, that's how you clean this thing, right? You start, our blood pressure goes up a little bit when you see this. Like, ah! Um, maybe you might have, like me, you have like a, a visceral like, reaction of vomiting. Um, that's because we have, a, in, internally, we have this very sensitive, very well-developed understanding of how things ought to be. Right? We know how things should be. 
And so when things are dramatically out of line with how they ought to be, we are like, this toilet should not look like this. It should look like this. I should be able to drink out of that thing. I think the dogs do it anyway, right? Well, how do we get from uh, the way things um, are to the way that they should be? Well, I have a picture here of all the things you need. Clorox wipes, Lysol. Uh, And when I was growing up, kids, um, I was forced to clean toilets every week um, by my father. And I vowed never to do it again. But one of the cool things that my dad introduced me to was the pumice stone. Do you know about the pumice stone? It's this rock. It's made out of something called pumice. It's kind of gray and porous. made so that it won't scratch or scar the porcelain, but will get all of the crustiest, nastiest chunks right off. So, my dad would watch as I scraped and scraped. He would laugh to himself, like, I'm so glad I had kids. One of the interesting things about um, the atonement sacrifice, that word hilasmos um, in Greek, it gets used to talk about um, the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament. And the Yom Kippur, if you're familiar with contemporary Jewish uh, religion. The day of Yom Kippur is very interesting. They would have two sacrifices. One was a bull, and the other one was a goat. And what would happen was, if you're reading it, you, you might assume that the point was to like you know, slaughter an animal, just because that does something. Well, not really. If you read um, Leviticus 16, it's an interesting text, and you see what happens with uh, the sacrifices. So the, the priest, Aaron, will like slice open the neck of the, of the bull, and he catches a bunch of the blood that comes out. And then he, uh, he, he actually takes that blood and he, and he puts it on various places. So all around um, the, the tent of meeting, the place that sacrifice is going to take place, on the, the horns of the over, um, kind of symbolically, the congregation of Israel. Uh, and the reason he does that is in the Old Testament, ancient people understood that uh, blood is sort of like God's Lysol. It's sort of like God's 409. Okay, it represents life, and so wherever there's dirtiness, wherever it, like any, anything that's departed from, from the way God wants it, that kind of gloms onto us. But blood, blood uh, is sort of like, you know, smashing it with the pumice stone and getting all of the dirtiness out. And what that does is it takes the people from the way that they are, uh, the blood then transforms them into what they're supposed to be, the way they ought to be. And so not only uh, so because Jesus died on the cross, because he literally gave his blood, God uses that and applies that blood to all of us if we simply believe. So that we come to God as kind of these dirty toilets, and God uses that blood to, to wipe us clean. So that we can come to God not as we are, but as we are supposed to be. So not only does, does Jesus come in and say, no, 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 they scored an 18. Perfect. Not only that, but then Jesus' blood also has the power in the Spirit to transform us into the kind of things we're supposed to be. Taking us from where we are and then transforming us. But not only this, John says, he says it gets bigger than that. It gets crazier than that. He says this. He says, not just our sins, not just every little mistake, everything that, that we've done, but also, also everything in the universe that isn't the way it's supposed to be. 
Uh, a lot of times this word cosmos will get translated world. Uh, the Greek is literally cosmos, so I just use cosmos since that's an English word. But it means, it doesn't mean world. Christians like to think when we see the word world, we tend to think of people. This is beyond that. This is the entire universe. This is everything that we can see, all of creation. Right? And, and the way that the ancient people thought about the universe, nowadays people tend to think that the universe is just sort of chaotic. Well, ancient people understood that God had the universe set up in, in uh, the right way. But then things went wrong, and it started getting out of control. Chaos, despair, destruction, violence, those things started moving into the world. And so when we encounter uh, the world, we encounter the universe, it's not the way that it's supposed to be. It's, it's shifted. It's, 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 it's wrong. Two thousand eighteen, Wall Street Journal, eleventh best city to live, Mission Viejo, California. Yeah. The greatest city ever created by human beings. I don't know how I don't know how we dropped to eleven. I mean when you you can actually feel a difference when you cross over from someplace icky, uh, like Aliso, and you and you and you come across, and you, and you slip into mission. You're like, oh, oh, you can almost feel it. Everything's, you know, I love you. I love you. I do. I love you, but I don't get it. Have you tried to park in that city? It's awful. Also, they can tell you're not from there. You, like, walk around saying, come in, and they're like, Ugh. get your rainbow sandals and get out. Not Mission Viejo. Mission Viejo is perfect. And the reason uh, Mission Viejo is perfect is because, well, really all of South Orange County, it was designed by people who had lived in L.A. And they were like, there's a lot to like here, but it's also horrible. We need to get away, and we need to do it right. And they started out with Orange County, eventually went down to just South Orange County. And so now if you live in, you know, Irvine, San Clemente, Dana Point, San Juan Campus, all the Aliso, Laguna, all those places, you are living in the world constructed the way that it should be. That's why they're back. That's why Terrell and another. I'm just kidding. Oh my gosh, I forgot. I have people in Minnesota who listen to this. Minnesota's amazing. Greatest, greatest state that's not here ever. Oh, I'm going to get emails. Okay. Uh, uh, stay with it. Stay on course. Okay. But here's a, here's a crazy thing. So I, I grew up in Mission Viejo, and I thought, you know, this place is too conservative. It's too, I left. I got married, had kids. I was like, get me back to Mission Viejo. I'm here. I'd like to die here because it's my cousin grew up saying, I'll live and die in Mission Viejo, and I think I'm the one to do it. Um, and yet, if I'm honest, I can look and I can see that even Mission Viejo, the world's greatest city, is deeply, deeply broken. And it's not even just uh, that people in Mission Viejo are bad people. There are. There's lots of people, and I'm one of them in Mission Viejo, that I, I slightly corrupt Mission Viejo. It's not even just that. It's the very, the, the very place itself, the, the buildings that we live in, um, the, the way that the, the, the walkways and the paths work and, and, and the trees. All of it as human beings can make it. It's like scoring a 70 in a tournament. But it's not perfect. 
In fact, the closer that you look into the people of Mission Viejo and the place itself, the more you see its age, the way that it's cracked and broken, the way that uh, lives are wrecked um, through various pathologies. And, and you see that even this, the, the crown jewel in the history of the world, Mission Viejo, is fundamentally flawed. It's sinful. And John's implication, he says, well, if, if Jesus splattered the blood over, over us and cleaned us, he also splattered it over the entire process of making the whole universe restored, renovated, refreshed, put the way that it's supposed to be. And, and by extension, because obviously it hasn't happened yet, just as we're not completely the way that we're supposed to be, uh, we're sort of in process, in transition as we follow Jesus and, and, and embrace the power of the Spirit. In the same way, uh, the universe is not quite restored perfectly yet. It's not uh, made the way it's supposed to be. But there's an opportunity for us to be a part of it. So John says this is how the universe is. The universe is this way. Every single one of us has missed the mark. Not a single person here has an 18 in the we are marked and we are stained and we are soiled. And we continue to that gloms onto us as we go through life. Not only that, but even the best of the world that we live in is still not the way that it's supposed to be. It's not made how it how it ought to be yet. And so every single person here is confronted with a set of questions. And the first one is this. On the golf course of life, do you need a mulligan? Maybe um, you're here and you've been caught in a whole bunch of patterns where it's like tin cup, you know, at the end of tin cup, and he just keeps missing. And he just keeps hitting it. And you're just like, Kevin Costner, stop. Stop acting. Stop being a part of this universe. But also stop hitting that ball. And you're caught up in these, these patterns and you know that you, when you go before God and God's like, what'd you score? You know it's going to be really bad. And you've never know that Jesus can, can argue for it. If that's you, I'm going to pray for you in a second. Number two, am I the way I'm supposed to be or am I out of whack? This isn't just about what you're doing, it's about who you are. Have you become the person that, that you know God has called you to be yet? Or do you find yourself, when you look at yourself, you, you resemble more of that gross toilet than the one that's the way that's supposed to be, that's ready for action? And do you need a fresh splattering of that cleansing blood? Do you need to, to, be, to, to confess and to repent and have, and have that reapplied so that you can be back the way you're supposed to be? Number three, when you look around, are you a part of God's plan to change and restore and revivify and refresh the world? Or are you actually part of the problem? And do you want to be a part of God setting the world to rights? Asked Jesus for a fresh start? This is your opportunity. I'm going to pray for you. And if you pray with me, you have life in his name. You are 
All the mistakes, all the sins, they are wiped away. Clean slate. Forever. And when you go before God at the end of days, God's going to look at you and say, well done. You are clean. Come on in. If you're not where you're supposed to be, you're out of whack, and you need to be refreshed and revivified, you need to be cleansed again, I'm going to pray for you and pray with me. And when this happens, it's simple. You just ask God to forgive the sins that are keeping you in a bad relationship with him, and he, he will, and he will transform you. And if you see the world and you realize that you want to be part of the solution and not part of the problem anymore, I'm going to pray for you too. Pray with me. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we know that you're the bringer of life. We thank you for the life we saw this morning with little ones. It way. And God, we ask you right now. For anyone here who needs a fresh start, who needs to be made right, who needs to be cleaned up, we ask you for life. We ask for forgiveness in your name and a fresh start. We ask you to make us the way we're supposed to be. For any here who've who've been sullied and, and caught up in in destructive patterns and in, in pathologies that have left us just out of whack and not the people that we know, God, that you've called us to be. We, we've trusted you, we've believed you, but we've, we've, we've come off the rails and we've, we've lost track. We pray, Lord Jesus, sprinkle your cleansing on us again. Put us back the way we're supposed to be. Make us into the people that we know you've called us to be. Give us the power of your spirit to live differently, to change. We confess and repent these things that we're doing. We want to turn away from them. We believe that you can do it. And God, we recognize that we live in a broken world, a world that's not the way that it's supposed to be. And so we pray, God, to you now, Lord, turn us into the people who are part of the solution, not part of the problem. In the power of your spirit, make us a part of your mission to restore the world to the way it's supposed to be. The entire universe, made perfectly in your image, ordered properly, set right in the ways that it's broken. May people look at us and see people who are restoring the world and not, and not ignoring it or, or, or leaving it or, or marring it further. All these things, God, we pray to you in Jesus' name. His power, his sacrifice makes it possible. We ask your spirit to to do these things in us, in his name. Amen.